You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Open your Bibles, if you will, to uh, the book of Romans in chapter number 4. Romans chapter number 4. Romans chapter number four, I am grateful for the wives that came up here and Brother Jet, thank you for that uh, recognition. Boy, can I just say something that's not going to sound good? Would you just, just hold with me for a moment? Because th- this deeply bothers me having come out and planted a church. He that provides not for his own is worse than an infidel. Why does that apply everywhere else but the ministry? And so here's some guy, and I don't mean this unkind. I just mean it honestly. Here's a guy that took his father's church. He's got the perks. He's got the car. He's got the salary. He's got the building. He's got everything. And he sends young men out of his church to go plant a church somewhere. And his advice to them is simply this. I don't worry about that. Just go plant a church. God will take care of you. And he cashes his check every Monday morning. And so a guy comes to Idaho and he tries to plant a church. His wife can't buy groceries. We say, well, God will provide. No, that's your job. There's a division of labor in the Bible. Some of that labor is yours and some of that is God's. You cannot do what God can do and God will not do what you should do. And so he winds up working three jobs. His wife is discouraged and bitter because she can't buy groceries In a year and a half, he goes home because his family's falling apart and he's labeled as a quitter. And the reality of the matter is he he was given bad advice and didn't do his job to begin with. And I would say, men, take care of your wives. Pick up the phone, make calls. That's the hard part of church planning. It's the part we all hate. Make calls scheduled meetings, and then trust God to bless your efforts. But we've got to take care of our women. And I, I, I'm, thankful, I'm thankful for the sacrifices they make. And, and they're a part of our ministry. But um, just because God's called us to plant churches does not mean that that gives us a ticket to be derelict in our duty as husbands. So let's be, let's be careful with that. Romans chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading... In verse number 13, Romans chapter number 4 and verse number 13, the subject we're going to read about is faith. The illustration that God's going to use for that subject is the man Abraham. So we begin in verse 13, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect. 
Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Father, thank you, Lord, for these men. Thank you for their wives. Thank you for those that are pastoring. Thank you for the members of this church and others that have gathered here. Thank you for the message this morning by Brother Ruckman. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the money that has been given and the men that have stood and Uh, and presented what you've called them to do, I'm grateful. And now I pray in this service that you might challenge us and stretch us and give us the things that we have need of from your word. Send us back, Lord. Um, I pray with a fresh coat of paint, Lord, on our hearts uh, in in the area of faith. And, And Lord, do thy work today. We'll give you the glory and the honor for it all. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Amen. Now I realize when you begin to speak on the subject of faith that it's obviously very much of a bread and butter subject to those of us who have been saved for any length of period. I, I would suggest to you that you have never heard from this pulpit or any other pulpit of a good Bible preaching Baptist church, you've never heard a message that did not either directly or indirectly deal with the matter of faith. The entire Christian life is permeated by this subject. We're saved by grace through faith, amen? Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine. It's not of works lest any man should boast. We have no reason or matter in which to strut our stuff or to elevate ourselves. The spotlight's not on us. The spotlight is on a good God who gave his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross and save us from our sins. So the very initial beginning, the start of this thing that we call the Christian journey, it begins by faith. We're saved and born again through faith in Christ Jesus. And then Romans eleven twenty teaches us that we are to stand by faith. I believe every position we take in life, every stand we take in life must be a faith stand. And then again, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that we're to walk by faith. I think that means that our directions of life, everything that we do in life, every direction we go in in life, the, the walk, the progress, the direction of our life must be motivated and directed by faith. And four times the Bible tells us in summing it all up that the just shall live by faith. And if this is a church planners conference, and it is, I wanna tell you it's a faith conference. Because there's no possible way that you and I are going to ever accomplish the things that God has called us to do uh, without being engaged in this matter 
of faith. We sometimes, I think, get to the place to where uh, we have a humanistic approach to ministry. Our desire is to somehow go to a meeting somewhere and somebody gets up and gives us 10 points on how to get it done and we want to find a successful pastor or a successful uh, uh, missionary and we want them to give us a syllabus or a list or a how-to on how to get the job done and we simply go home and copy and paste their their, uh, way of doing things and now suddenly we are like them, we are a success. They're guys that travel the nation from one shore to the other, north and south. They're running from conference to conference, just simply trying to find out how to do it. I want to tell you, dear friend, the the way to find out how to do it may not be necessarily by sitting in a conference somewhere. We probably ought to find a tree stump somewhere out on the back 40 acres and get on our face before holy God put our faith and trust in him and know that the unction of God's Holy Spirit in our life is more important than the syllabus that you'll be handed. Now, I'm not against learning from guys that have been there, but I'm just simply telling you uh, the reality of the matter is if anything's gonna get done, it's through faith in God because without faith, it's impossible to please him. Years ago, Almost 15 years when God began to move on my heart. In fact, it has been past 15 years that the, the move of God on my heart to go to Idaho began. I just thought it was great. I had visited out there and done a men's meeting and there were so, compared to where I was at, it was just so few. I just saw the opportunity and, and, and God began to do a work and I, I just thought it was a good idea. And so my idea with God was simply this. Lord, I'll tell you what, I, I'm excited about that. Be glad to do it. I'd love to do that. And I'm going to leave a pen and paper out here. And if you'll, just, if you'll just sort of outline for me how we're going to get this thing done so that I can see how it's all going to work out because I've got kids going to follow me out there. They're going to marry somebody. My grandkids are going to be born there. You know what? I got a wife to take care of and a paycheck coming in from the church where I'm at. And for 14 years, Lord, if you'll just if you'll just give me just a basic blueprint and sign on the bottom, I'll sign right under your name. But God's not going to let us walk by sight. That's not how God works. And if we're expecting God to to show us the plan before we yield to it, it's not going to happen. Jim Rushing, a great dear friend of mine for many, many years, an evangelist, he went out, uh, was coming through and said, let's go out and grab a bite. So we went out, I began to tell him what God was doing in my heart. And, and he said to me, he said, Brother Dean, what, you just need to learn how to play checkers with God. He was getting up in age a little bit then. I thought maybe the sun had gotten to his brain and cooked through there. And I just thought, okay, well, I'll just ride this with the guy as long as I can and then pat him on the back and make him feel good. I said, Doc, what are you talking about playing checkers with God? He said, have you ever played checkers? I said, well, sure I have. And he said, well, somebody makes a move and then they don't move again until you make a corresponding move. And he said, it seems to me that God's already made his move. And you're sitting around waiting on God to make the second and the third move and God's not gonna move again until you respond to his move. Now he's called you to do something And if you're not willing to yield, God God has no obligation to do anything for you. And so what I found out from that is as I by faith obeyed the call of God, 
then all of the pieces began to fall into place. And I'm grateful for that. I, I just want to tell you, that's how God works. And, and the reality of the matter is when God calls us to plant a church or calls us into the ministry, listen, if we're sitting on a church pew, we're involved in a faith venture. Our life is a faith venture. And God's going to, from time to time, he's going to stretch us beyond our means. The Bible says in Romans 14, 23, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And so what God wants to do, he wants to stretch you beyond your means. He wants to take me beyond my own capabilities and stretch it. That doesn't mean necessarily that God is going to call all of us to make a geographical move to the other side of the nation to plant a church. It just simply means wherever you're at, God's going to move you from there. He's going to stretch you. That's why sometimes in a missions conference, people that just, just increased their missions a year ago or two years ago, they sit there and the wife and the husband are staring at each other and they're like, well, I just feel like God's doing something. Well, we just gave something. We increased two years ago. Yeah, but you've gotten comfortable. And God doesn't want us sitting in our comfort zone. I mean, listen, and again, it may be in the same house, in the same city, in the same church, but God's not going to let you get comfortable where you are. He's going to stretch you. He's going to challenge you. He's going to call you from your comfort zone. Hebrews eleven six. but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Think about that verse. What it is saying simply is this. Number one, you've got to believe that God is who God said he is. Number two, you've got to believe that God will do what God said he will do. Number one, God is who he says he is. Number two, God will do exactly what God told you he'd do. He keeps his promises. And the easy part of that is believing that for somebody else. That vicarious faith. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I believe God's going to bless Brother Preston. I know he is. Listen, I've been there. He's got a good work going. God's going to bless him. God, and, and, and he comes up with a problem. And I said, Brother Preston, listen to me. God's going to take care of you. God's blessed your work. I've seen it. Brother Chuck, God's blessing you there. Man, he's going to watch over you. Brother Jet, listen, I know you've got a challenge going, but listen, listen. Look what God's done in your life. God will get you through that. And then a problem comes my way, and I'm like, what's going to happen? It's easy to have faith for someone else. What this verse is about, it's personal. No, no, no. I'm not asking you if you believe that God can take care of David Hetzer in Sri Lanka. I'm asking you, do you believe that God can take care of you where you are? No, no. I'm not asking, do you believe that God can do the miracle that, that somebody else needs? What about the miracle that you need? It's always easier to believe in a miracle that somebody else would need. Listen, we prayed for sweet baby James and look what God's done in his life. And I've, I've prayed for so many people that have been sick over this season here and seen God do some amazing, miraculous things. But what about the miracle that you need where you are in your life, with your family, with your church? Can God do that? Is God who he says he is in your life? Can God do what he promises he'll do in your life? That's really what this is all about. I want you to notice, first of all, the object of Abraham's faith. Look with me in chapter 4. Look in verse 17 of Romans there. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed. Now watch this. Even, what's the next word? Man, you ought to circle that. 
That's a Gomer Pyle Shazam moment. You know what? That's deep, really. Think about that. That's just Shazam, man. Are you kidding me? Who do we have faith in? God. Brother Ruckman, is that worth coming for? That, that is a powerful truth. Write that down. We are to have faith in God. And you're sitting here thinking, really? That's all you got for us? No, isn't it funny that something that is as obvious as that, we really mess up, don't we? Man, we got, look, look, why trust God when you got Visa in your back pocket? MasterCard, Discover. Isn't it funny, isn't it funny that God, even though he is supposed to be the object of our faith, isn't it funny that God is our last resort so many times? Now in South Georgia, way down south, when you get in there, if something gets real serious, the voice begins to quake, Okay. And so somebody will say something like this, and I know it's real serious, but back when I was passing there, somebody comes and say, preacher. I'm like, oh boy, here we go, something's, something's on. <laughs> preacher, we got a real problem. And then they make this great statement, and all we got left now is God. <laughs> wow, <laughs> you're in bad shape. Is that the God that spoke the worlds into existence? Is that, is that the God that parted the Red Sea? The God that healed the leper? The God that gave sight to the blind? The God that raised the dead? Is that the God you're talking about? All I got left is God. Why don't you start out with him? You might not be in the mess that you're in. All we can do now is pray. Just start out praying. Most of the other stuff is excess baggage anyhow. Just, just listen, just on, from the get-go, go straight to God. Casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. And, and so the reality of the matter is uh, the, the object of Abraham's faith was in God. And faith is only as valid as its object. You see... You show me who you've got your faith in, I'll tell you how valid your object is. I, I, I read something years ago before uh, Brother Preston was, was in Minnesota and, and Brother Silas and, and these others. I, I, I read a story of a man that had spent some time with his son ice skating. And, and uh, it was the end of the season and, and the lakes were beginning... Look, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't care what you say, I ain't getting on a lake. You're telling me you're building a fire on a lake? You know what fire and ice does? I got enough sense to figure that out. They drive trucks on it. I ain't, I ain't taking roller skates on it. I was in a meeting one time and a guy said to me, it was in Indiana, and he said, uh, you want to walk across the lake here, we'll go over to a restaurant. And I said, what? Walk across the lake, man. I'm not Oral Roberts. What are you talking about? <laughs> Walking across a lake. Well, this guy and his son, they had, been, they had been skating on this lake and it was the end of the season and his son talked to his dad and the dad said, all right, let's get in one more day. And as they were skating, the ice broke beneath his son and, and, and he heard the scream and as he turned around, I remember him saying, the last thing I saw, I saw my boy go beneath the ice and he went over and tried to save his life but the boy drowned in the frigid waters of that Minnesota lake and the father, his exasperation, he said, had I known, 
had I known that the ice was thin, we never would have gone. He had great faith, but it was in thin ice. And the object of his faith invalidated the faith that he put in it. Out in my neck of the woods, we have people that trust in a guy called Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price. And I'm going to just be real honest with you. I don't try to be unkind, but I'll tell you, it's like a Marvel comic book. It's unbelievable the things that you read that grown people believe in. And the reality, the reality, dear friend, is, is, is simply this. They've got great faith, and yet it's in, it's in thin ice. And, and uh, we, 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 need to, uh, we need to realize that, that the, the, the object of our faith is in God. And, and uh, the, the, uh, having our faith in God is what, is what validates what, what our faith is in. We, we, we've got to trust not in ourselves or in the energy of our flesh, or in any program or thing that we can do, our faith must be in God, because our faith is only as valid as the object in which we place it. Let me say second of all, that our knowledge of the object determines the volume of our faith. So as we we learn our object, our faith increases. We don't psych faith up. You ever seen somebody that come down to the altar and they just, you know, it's just sort of like, I mean, nobody, we, we, we don't, you don't just come down and say, I got to have more faith, you know. We don't come down here somehow and try to, you know, Oprah Winfrey, the, you, you know, the, 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 the good karma. You know what I'm talking about? We don't call it in like karma. I need some karma, man. I got to have some faith. How do you get more faith? You learn more about your God. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So how, how do you gain faith? You get the manual out and you, and you read about your God. And as you, read, as you read in this book, your faith increases because you, you learn more about God. And, and the reality of the matter is, you know, think about David. David, you know, David goes down to deliver some cathead biscuits and, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to his brothers. And he goes down there and in the providence of God, as soon as he gets there, a giant walks out and thumps his chest and says, hey, you know, you send me a man, we'll fight in the middle of this. If he whips me, we'll serve you. If I whip him, you serve us. And nobody on Israel's side was doing a thing. They were sitting in their foxhole just thinking about the battle, speculating on the spoils of war rather than fighting. David walks up and he comes out and David said, who is, who is he? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the armies of the living God? And David's older brother Eli come out and says, hey, punk, listen, I know why you're here. Go back to the few sheep your daddy uh, trusted you with. Get out of here. I know the haughtiness of your heart. You know what David did? David didn't argue. David didn't fuss. David turned his back on his brother and just simply said, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Listen to me. Your faith will always appear foolishness to people that are living in the flesh. Anytime you take a faith stand, somebody who is living in the foolishness of their flesh, they're going to say, you're crazy, man. You're, you're nut. You're off your rocker. Yes, somebody told Saul, you need to check this guy out. He's not very big, but boy, he's talking it. So Saul called him up. And he said to David, why should I send you out against him? He's been alive. Uh, he's been fighting longer than you've been alive. And David said, because I know two things. First of all, 
a lion came into the camp and I was watching my daddy's sheep. And he said, uh, boy, when that lion came in, I knew we were in trouble and I prayed to God and God gave me strength. I bearded the lion and killed him. And he said a little while after that, uh, j- just sometime beyond that, a bear came in with the same intent as the lion. And, and David said, I knew that the God that had given me the lion could give me the bear, so I slew the bear. And David said, this Philistine will fall under the hand of the same God that the lion and the bear did. I think sometimes we run out looking for giants when we're afraid of lions and bears. We might better trust God with the smaller things before we go looking for the giant. And so David waded into the valley and Goliath came down with force and David came forward with faith and Goliath had the shield and he had the, the armor bearer and he had the sword and the coat of mail and all this and he looked down at David and laughed and David said to him, hey, I know what you come to me with but I come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel and David said, I'm here by faith and you know what, he, 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 he had, a, he had a, just a simple slang, God doesn't need your skill sets. In fact, your skill sets will get in the way. Yes, sir. Talked with a church planner some time back. My wife and I ate lunch with her, him and his wife. And he said to me, he said, Pastor, I, I, I was in charge of a multi-million dollar business. I had 30 employees. I was making X amount of money. I was driving this kind of car. Our house cost this much. And he said, but God called me to the ministry. And I said this to him. I said, now I don't want to be ugly to you, but I want you to listen to me. If you don't get over that, you're going to fall on your face. If you, if, if you, don't, if you don't get over what you did and who you were, you're not going to make it. He's not in the ministry today. You know why? Because all he could think of is what he once was. See, God doesn't need your skill set. God doesn't need your talent. God just, God, just, God just wants to bless you by using you, but he doesn't need to use you. And so here comes David down, and David's got a sling and five smooth stones. And somebody said, well, why did he have five stones? Well, he had a, Goliath had a bad aunt, an ugly sister, a mama that was mean. I don't know. I do know this. I do know that, that God never told David that one stone would get the job done. And, and so the reality is when David went down there, he sort of had his clip loaded. You know what I'm saying? And so he put one stone in and the idea was I, God never said, you know, just, just throw the stone and haul buggy. That means south, move on, doesn't it, Brent? So hauling buggy, son, I'm out of here. So he put the sling in, let it go, and God leaned over David's shoulder and went, and when he did, it was hyperspeed, son. Hit the giant between the eyes, he fell over dead. And, and the reality of it was, was that David went to the valley because David had already fought the lion and the bear. His knowledge of the object increased his faith. I heard evangelists years and years ago, early in my ministry, talk about preaching in Canada. And he's with a friend uh, there. They pre- he preached um, Monday through Friday. They took Saturday off and they would finish the meeting out on Sunday. That's how they used to do it years ago. And so 
uh, Saturday was an off day, so Friday he said to him, would you like to go visit brother so-and-so? They had all been to college together like you guys have. And so he said, uh, man, I haven't seen him since we graduated. I'd love that. So he said, all right, well, we'll go. He was working on a reservation somewhere up in Canada. So that morning the preacher picked him up in his Volkswagen bug and they set out on a two-hour journey to go visit their college friend. Got about an hour into the middle of that journey. The preacher looked at him and said, hey, um, uh, you know where we're at? And he looked around and said, well, it's all white. He said, I don't have any idea. There's no road signs or I don't know where we're at. We're going to visit brother so-and-so. He said, I know you know where we're going, but right now we're in the dead center of the deepest lake in all of Canada. And he said, I looked at him and said, man, you gotta be kidding me. He said, no, they say they've never found bottom here. Of course, there's swimming holes in Georgia. They said that about when I was a kid, you know, never found bottom in that one, be careful. So he said, he's riding along. He looks over at the preacher and said, man, are you kidding me? And he said, brother, relax. They say the ice is seven feet thick here. Well, first of all, how, how about telling me who they is? They say, well, they could be liars. They could be thieves. I don't know who you're talking about. They, they say the ice. He said, I don't care if it's 70 feet thick, preacher. You shouldn't have brought me out here, ride me across this lake without asking my permission. And he said, I begin to get angry. He said, I'm the evangelist. Here's the pastor. He said, I, 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 I can feel the blood. I'm, I, I, I'm just getting upset about this. Good night, man. Are you crazy? He said, so I just shut my mouth. He said, I began to pray, God, I'm with a lunatic. This guy's got me in a Volkswagen bug in the middle of a lake riding across this thing. I can't believe he did that. He said, I'm just praying, griping to God. He said, all of a sudden I heard a noise and he said it was a rumbling. And he said, it, it got louder. And he said, my heart began to just sort of climb. It was trying to escape. It got up in my throat here. And he said, I just, I knew what was happening. He said, the ice, the ice surely was splitting and, and it, yeah, me and Pastor Idiot, we're going to the bottom. We'll find the bottom. Oh, somebody's going to find the bottom of this lake. It's going to be me and him frozen at the bottom of this thing, sitting there side by side in his Volkswagen bug, and my wife will never know what happened to me. He said, as that noise got just at its peak, all of a sudden, whew, right past us went a semi-rig. He said, it blew, it blew. It blew snow dust everywhere. And he said, I, I watched it go. He said, he said, what I had been doing, he said, I was sitting there actually just trying to sort of levitate off the, trying to somehow get my weight off of the chair there. And he said, when that Volkswagen, when that, when that Volkswagen was passed by that semi-rig, he said, I looked, looked at the preacher and said, whoo, did you see what I just saw? And he said, brother, I told you. And he said, I started bouncing up and down, having a shouting fit. Well, you know what happened? His knowledge, of the, his knowledge of the ice increased his faith. He figured out if the ice can hold that up, well, this bug's no problem at all. So I'm gonna tell you what God's gonna do. He's, he's gonna get us beyond some things that, 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 that happened in our ministry. I, I, you know, what, what are you going to do when a family that really gives leaves? Faith in God. Somebody comes and, and, and you know, you look at them and you think, well, they'll, they'll never leave. They'll never leave me. And they do. The people that you think will never leave will walk out. 
And everybody you start with won't stay. And like a building, God uses them as scaffolding to get you so high. And then they move on and you, God sends more scaffolding. And I'm not saying we use people. I'm just simply saying that, 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 that there are people that won't stick for the long haul, but thank God for how God uses them while they're there. It's, it's important that when money is running thin, we realize God isn't. That God is able to get us beyond those difficult things. Two things that Abraham knew about God. Look with, look, look with me in verse 17. I'll tie a knot in this just a moment. Look in verse 17. Two things that God, that Abraham knew about God. First of all, uh, it says, even God. Now, notice what it says, who quickeneth the dead. Abraham knew his power that God can make dead things alive. Man, it may be a dead city, a dead town, a dead church you're trying to revive. Let me tell you something. You can't do that in your own power, but in God's power you can. Because God can bring dead things back to life. Notice the second thing that Abraham knew uh, there in that last part of verse 17. And calleth those things which be not as though they were. Only God can bring something out of nothing. Man, I want to tell you something. Tomorrow night, we'll have a Wednesday night midweek Bible study at South Valley Baptist Church. But 15 years ago, there was no South Valley Baptist Church. Wasn't one. What did God do? He brought something out of nothing. And God is able to do that. Notice, if you will, with me, the obstacles that his faith overcame his, the obstacles his faith overcame. I, I love verse number 19. Such a, such a great verse there. And being not weak in faith, he considered uh, not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. The obstacles that faith overcame, his body was dead as far as reproduction was concerned and, and Sarah was barren. But Abraham Rather than considering, considering that an obstacle, he saw it as an opportunity for God to show himself strong. That's the kind of God that we serve. You know what the God does? Sometimes he presents us with a dilemma. Now look at me. He's going to send dilemmas in your life. There's a bit of romanticism about church planning. There is. But the reality of the matter is their struggles and their problems unique to church planning that you may not have in some other area. And we have to be prepared, not negative, just simply prepared for the fact that dilemmas and obstacles are going to be in front of us. There are many adversaries. This was already quoted. It's a great and effectual door. It's been open, but there are many adversaries. So here they are, there's 5,000 people that need feeding. Jesus already knowing what he was going to do. Do you know this? When you're faced with a problem, he already has the answer. Yes. He knows exactly what he's going to do. Well, 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 then why does this happen? Because he wants you to learn what he's going to do. And he wants you to admit that you can't do what he can do. And so he looks at Philip and he says, uh, uh, Philip, how are we going to feed him? And Philip says, um, we don't have the money. And if we did, there's no place to purchase the food. Send them away empty. We can't do this. And Jesus said, what do you have? Just a lad? Just a little? Just the Lord? 
And so they brought the few fish and the few loaves and Jesus multiplied it. When it was all said and done, they took up baskets full of fragments. Philip was presented with a dilemma so that he could see what God can do. Let me say this to you. When you get to the place to where you cannot, you have just arrived at where God can. Don't, don't, don't fall apart, man. That, he's got you where he wants you. All he wants to hear from you is, we can't. And then he says, I can. Amen. That's the way that God works. Last of all, I close. Look, look, look at the credentials for faith because we, we, we need this. Verse, verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now watch. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Some people make promises, and they mean well, but they can't fulfill their promise. They, they, can't, they can't keep their promises. Can I tell you something great about God? Number one, God makes promises. The book is full of them. Number two, God is able to keep his promises. Wait, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. He can, he can go above what you think he can do. So he makes promises. Number two, he keeps promises. Here's the best part. He wants to keep them. See, God didn't send you out to plant a church somewhere or pastor a church because he wants to see you struggle. God sent you there because he wants to bless you. But only through the testing, the difficulties, do we see the credentials of faith. And that is just trusting in God regardless. My oldest daughter, Dixie, is such a blessing to us. Years ago, she was just a little girl with auburn hair with ringlets, golden strands in her hair. She came up to me one day and she said to me, she said, um, Daddy, guess what I want? And I said, what, honey? And she said, uh, I want to, she was just jitterbugging. She was so excited, just, just so excited. Daddy, guess what I want? What, Dixie? I want a Cabbage Patch doll. That's the ugliest thing that ever came off an assembly line. L- looks like it has body mumps or, or that an that entire colony of white-faced hornets mauled it. It's just swollen everywhere. Head outgrows the hair. You know, just swollen fingers. I mean, just, just, just this big, it's just a blob with a smile. But they cost 30-something bucks. This is when... This was, yeah, we couldn't afford it. And besides that, you go to the dollar store and, 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 and for a buck, you could get a baby. I told her, I said, I'll buy you a whole family. You go to the dollar, I'll, I'll buy the whole family. You ain't got to have one kid. I can get you a whole family. You can be a missionary. I'm saying. Now, I know it wasn't of the same quality. Those are the dolls you lay down, their eyes closed, you lift them up, their eyes open, lay them back, their eyes closed, lift them up. And then, you know, about the fifth time they go to bed at night, when they wake up the next day, one eye stays open. One <laughs> so now you got a horror story on your hands. You got a baby you don't want to pass in the middle of the night when you're going to the bathroom because that thing is just staring right there, staring at you with one eye. You know? And don't grab the arm and run off with the kid because you'll de-arm it. You know what I'm saying? <coughs> you can press the top of the head and it becomes a cup holder. I mean, they're cheap. I understand that. But I can afford them. But she didn't want that. No, she wanted a Cabbage Patch doll. 
So I said to her just what any good theologian would do. I just thought to myself, look, I can't, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I can't do this. I'm not doing this. So I said, honey, I got a great idea. She said, what's that, Dan? So why don't you pray about it? And her eyes lit up like a Christmas tree. I'll do that. First family devotion that night. I'm serious. I remember the sure just, so we're going, we, we read some scripture. Then we went down and all the kids would pray. And, and then it would come to her mother and I, and we'd pray. So, so we're, we're there, and her older brother prays. It comes her time. Dixie prays, and this is so help me. I'm, I'm not, I am not embellishing this at all. She's been to a few fellowship meetings with me at that time, and she said, dear God. <laughs> there it is, son. Son, it's getting serious now. And her prayer was this, dear God, I want a cabbage patch doll so bad. And if you'll just give me a Cabbage Patch doll, and here's her words, I'll serve you all the days of my life. I looked at her mom, and I, I mean, I opened my eyes and looked at her, and she looked at me, I said, you know about getting a hold of the horns of the altar, son, she was praying down heaven. Man, she prayed every night, prayed and prayed. She's always bringing it up. One day she came to me, she said, about three months in, daddy, guess what? I said, well, baby, she said, I'm still praying for the cabbage patch. So I'm like, are, are you telling me something? I don't know. You're driving me crazy. I know you want a cabbage. I wanted to sit her on my knee and say, honey, listen, has God given you a cabbage patch? No, he hasn't. People got heart trouble. They got cancer. They got, th look, there's wars in the world. God's got things he's dealing with. You, you know, and and I, I'm serious, I'm like, just leave God alone about the Cabbage Patch doll, okay? But I knew if I said that, it'd break her heart. Well, about three more months, about six months after her, you know, revelation of what she wanted, we went to my sister's house in Cartersville, Georgia. Thanksgiving. I walked in the door, my niece Debbie is there, and as soon as I got in, Dean, can I talk with you a minute? I said, well, yeah. So we stepped in the side room. And she said, every time anything opens up in our community, I fill out one of the cards for the free grand opening prizes they're giving away. She says, I do it religiously for years, never won a thing. But a department store was opening up in town and new, and I walked past it and said, no. And then she said, well, why not? I filled it out, my name on it, phone number, dropped it in. And she said, yesterday I got a phone call. Miss Bruce, yeah, you filled out a card for I think? Yes, I did. Well, you're a grand prize winner. And she's like, woo, fine, this is amazing. Oh my word, pots and pans, you know, a new microwave. She's thinking of all the things that she had seen on that shelf of about 20 gifts. She said, I jumped in the car. They said, bring some ID. So I'm coming Came down, could we see your ID, Mr. There it is. She said, Dean, they handed me a bag. And she said, I looked in the bag, and then this is what she said next. It was, there was no commas, colons, hyphens, nothing. Just one sentence that bled into the other. She said, one giant, Dean, I want a Cabbage Patch doll and wondered if I could give it to Dixie. It's exactly what she said. Six months after the initial prayer, Dean, I want a cabbage patch doll and wondered if I could give it to Dixie. Well, I started crying. <laughs> We're in a room now by ourselves. I started crying. And I, I promise you I'm not embellishing this. She's Southern Baptist. 
I'm independent Baptist, and this is what she said to me. I'm sitting there crying, and she said, hey, man, I didn't know y'all had standards against Cabbage Patch dolls. <laughs> exactly. So help me. I, I am not exaggerating. She said, I didn't know y'all had standards against Cabbage Patch dolls. She said, let's just act like I didn't say anything about it. And I'm thinking in my mind, you give us some time, we'll develop a standard on that thing right there. Son, we can come up with some standards now. I, I was waving her off. I said, no, 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 no. And I told her the story. And I said, go tell Dixie. And in the back of the house, I heard a little girl's voice go, <laughs> and she come running through the house, jumped up in my arms, holding the ugliest baby I've ever seen in my life. Named him Marvin. She held him up. Daddy, look what God gave me. And I said, yes, he did, baby. I kissed her and put her down and said, go show everybody. And then I closed the door. And I said, dear God, my father, would you forgive me? for thinking that you can't take care of cancer and heart problems and world war, war, war around the world, and yet that you, you still don't care for the prayers of a little girl. Can I, can I just tell you this? If God can give a little girl a Cabbage Patch doll, he can take care of your troubles and mine. There's going to come a time in your ministry when your back's going to be against the wall and Satan's going to whisper, quit. But he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You'll not do any work for God apart from faith. Let's bow our heads. Could we do that? We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.